Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. Our guest today is Terry Mitchell, the president of Momark Development. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you're a busy man and someone we've been trying to get on the show for a while, so thank you for a little bit of your time today. And before we get into uh, just some issues with development, the things that you've been dealing, working with a lot in the city, can you give us a little bit about your background and the work that Momark's been uh, up to? Uh, I came to school to, at the University of Texas in the 70s, uh, started in banking, uh, got a master's in business, and then went to law school, uh, practiced law. Uh, until 1991 when I uh, became general counsel of a large home builder developer and started developing property shortly after that. In 2003, we started our own company to uh, try to better serve the marketplace. Got you. And then what what are some of the projects people would know Momark for around Austin? Um, I think the most high-profile project is we were involved in the development of the Austonian at 2nd uh, Congress. Uh, there's a project out south called Goodnight uh, that we were part of putting together uh, in Dripping Springs. There's a project called Headwaters that we entitled and planned, uh, uh, a condo project in South Austin called the Denizen, uh, a variety of projects. Like mm-hmm. that. And you have a, your newest one is Dry Alpha 35 and yes. uh, the ten, Tyndall? Yeah. At, at 8th and I-35, there's a project, a, a condominium project called the Tyndall. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it's 182 units, and we're now moving people in. So yeah, it looks cool. Looks from what I've seen, looks like great views. <laughs> so what good western, western views. There are. Uh, so, Terry, you know, we, we really wanted you to show because as a, you know, as a developer, but also someone who's been heavily involved in the conversations in Austin for a number of decades now around affordability and just the affordability issues in Austin, I uh, want to get your take on it. And, you know, one, you know, I think we both agree that you know, Austin is in, a, in an affordable housing crisis. Um, but how, how did we get here and where do you think we can go? I mean, based on what, what do you know? Uh, all right. Just uh, Austin does have an affordability crisis. What most people don't realize is that almost every portion of the country is having an affordable housing crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you two little stats, if you will. One, uh, the nationwide median household income is about sixty one or $62,000. The median home price nationwide is two hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. Wow! So nationwide, sixty-one thousand is going to buy you about one hundred and sixty-five to one hundred and seventy thousand dollars home, and yet the median home price is two forty-five. Mm-hmm. If you take it a step further and look at the median home price, uh, and this is all, these are all U.S. Census data, uh, and the the new home median home price is about three twenty. A new home is, I mean, we're classifying that as like a, four, you know, what it is. Something that home builders are building, new homes across the country. Yeah. Across the country, the new home But size-wise, what are we talking about here? Uh, they've home. gotten bigger. Yeah. They've gotten bigger. And part of that is being driven by economics. As land costs and lot costs go up, you have to increase the size of the unit to make the economics work. Gotcha. You, an absurd example is you can't you can't put a $50,000 house on a $100,000 lot. Yeah, which, you know, I think... Uh, you're in the industry. I'm, you know, I'm in the industry. We, we understand that, right? But that, and we'll get that's a later question. But there's a disconnect sometimes with the economics of how these things could work, right? right? You know, there's. Right. Yeah. So, th- th- my point about this was that ec- this, these economics of less and less people, you know, if you look across the nation and you just do math and extrapolate, 
if people don't own a home today, a single family home, it's going to be 60 to 62% of those folks are not going to be able to buy a new a, a home mm-hmm. because they don't make enough money. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same is true in Austin. The median home price in Austin is around, in the metro area, is around 300000 Inside the city, it's almost 390000 And yet our median household income is seventy-one. Yeah. Seventy-one will buy you a $210,000 home, give or take. And yet, median home price in the metropolitan area is three, around three hundred, and then inside the city is close to three ninety. When we buy the metro, we're talking about Austin, um, Travis County, Williamson, and Hayes County parts. Yes. Of it? yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. As far north as Georgetown, as far south as San Marcos. Wow. <laughs> you know, in fact, we just did a study in October. We looked at all the new homes being sold in the five county area. How many were below two hundred? Since the median income can afford about a two hundred ten thousand dollar home, eight. Wow. There were about 1,500 home, new homes being built. Only eight were below 200,000. Eight? They, and they weren't anywhere close to where you and I are sitting. You no. Know, it, was, it was Gerald. It was, in fact, Colleen was advertised in this publication. You can argue that's not part of our metropolitan area, but way far out. Way far wow. out. Wow. Wow. So, and, and, and all, all it points to is that, for me, is that the form of housing is changing across the country. And it's happening at different rates of speed depending on how fast your city's growing. So for a fast-growing city like Seattle or uh, some of the western uh, coast, west coast cities or Austin or whatever, that trend is, is moving faster because, because the incomes aren't keeping up with uh, house prices. Got you. And so a conversation that's come up in you know, the last few years around missing middle, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that, that came up a lot during the last discussions or the previous years discussions around code next it was going to be a rewrite of the Austin's land use code mm-hmm. you touch on that and how maybe that's a, a way of combating somewhat of the affordability issues we're having what it is it is a, a way of combating it the size of that need is pretty great mm-hmm. uh, you know if if the median home price in the metropolitan area is 300 as a household you need to be making about 100 grand to buy a home and household being just you know average household of four or two adults no it's t- our average household size in austin is about 2.6 okay and so about 2.6 people t- which i think is the most accurate representation because some are one or two and some are four it averages 2.6 mm-hmm. uh, but you'll need to make 100 grand and, and about 28% of our population, or 28% of our households make over 100 grand, but that means that 72% don't. That'd so, be, that's interesting, you're right, because I think you, you layer that on top of just what people conventionally think about Austin and its prosperity, and it is a city very prosperous. Because, um, I mean, I've heard that statistic, and I think a lot, a lot of my friends I've told that to just didn't really, they didn't believe it, right? But also it's just based on where we are, too, professionally and everything else. It's, it's, and part of it is a... Uh, it's a structural issue in the country uh, that house prices for the last 50 or 60 years have been climbing faster than wages. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and, and, and it's kind of accelerating a little bit. Part of that is supply and demand. Part of that's materials. Part of that is, is delayed infrastructure costs where the cities are recognizing that to, to pay for this spread out nature of what we're doing costs a lot of money costs a lot of money to maintain streets, to provide more police stations, more fire stations, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. It does. So if you, if price and politics weren't a factor mm-hmm. and you could just do what you could, you know, knowing what you know, could do what you want in Austin, uh, what were, you know, were top three things you would do to, just to get a handle on this? Well, we have, we have several issues. The, the purest form, as a developer, the only 
really the only two tools we have to lower the cost of housing is to increase the density and secondarily make units smaller. Mm -hmm. And so take a simple example. If you have a single family lot that costs, you know, urban lots in Austin today are three or $400,000. So let's just use 300,000 example. If I put two units on there, now your lot cost is 150,000. If I put three, it's 100,000. If I put four, it's 75,000. As the lot cost goes down, then that lowers the cost of the house. Yeah. The second second way of doing it is urban condos. The average size urban-wise is probably 1,000 square feet. If you get out into suburbia, the average house size is probably 24, 2,500 square feet. You also can reduce the house price in the urban setting because you make it smaller. I got that you. makes any sense. Yeah. Um, what do you see... We know, I mean, there's talk of uh, you know, another rewrite coming, you know, just after Code Next. I know the council tasked C. Manager Crunk with mm -hmm. putting forth a plan for a new rewrite sometime in early 2019, what early may be. We'll see. Um, what do you think, just based on all the factors, you know, from the mayoral, mayoral election, uh, new faces on the dais, um, the defeat of Prop J, how those things could play into this new rewrite? Taking also account the lessons learned over that last five-year process? Uh, I hope that we get together and sit at a table and start planning for, uh, I, say, I stated it earlier and I want to emphasize that, housing is changing. Mm -hmm. You know, I want everybody to understand that the single-family house in Austin, Texas, and soon to be across the country as an affordable housing product, isn't going to be there anymore. It's just not going to happen. You're going to see some forms of denser housing, whether that's duplexes, triplexes, apartments, whatever. It's going that's going to happen. The secondary secondary issue that we have to address in our code is that, as a general rule, people buy what they can afford, and as a general rule, they locate closer to their work than further away. We have a heavy, heavy concentration of jobs in the core of our city. That makes for a vibrant core, but it means it increases the demand for housing around that area. Mm -hmm. uh, Austin, if you take, there's a 2015 uh, city observatory report on, it was called the Surging Center Job Growth, and it was analyzing the top 50 or so metropolitan areas in the country, and Austin had the highest concentration of urban jobs of any large city in the United States. 29% of all jobs uh, were located within three miles of the center of the city. And that's factoring in, I think, people... Especially in government jobs as well, right. but well, we, we have, which is the in, traditional. In that, in that three-mile loop, we have this, the state government and we have UT. And yes. So that's what gives us our concentration. But it means that everybody wants to be generally close to that. Mm -hmm. And so those that can afford it, and we're a wealthy uh, economy, those that can afford it tend to bid up the housing closer in so that they don't have the commute. Mm -hmm. that that's everything. Sense. That's con I mean, apartment that's right. prices, condos, even the you know, homes, right. townhomes, doesn't matter. Just, we, we, you know... If, Austin has grown since 2010 about a half a million people. The metropolitan area, mm -hmm. half a million people. That's two Wacos. Yeah. So think about that. We haven't added two Wacos of housing in our urban core. We haven't, you know, planned for transit, et cetera, to accommodate that growth. And so we, you know, the combination is as people move further out, it, it increases that congestion to try to get to those jobs. Yeah, well, so, tree, yeah, well tree, yeah, there's a whole other point. We can have, there's a whole other show about traffic right. and everything right. else, too. Um, so, to, so as a general rule, just let me say, I hope the code addresses and recognizes the fact that various forms of denser housing, and I'll emphasize this, inappropriate locations, has to be the main source of housing for our future. It's just economics. Mm -hmm. We, you know, it's, it's it's what people can afford. But the the worst thing we can do is put affordable housing 
on the west side, for example, and put jobs on the east side and then expect them to drive 15 or 20 miles to get there. We don't have the capacity, the road capacity, to accomplish that sort of thing. We need to be matching jobs near housing that those employees can afford, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. It does. Um, just as an observer of you know, the, develop, the development community and kind of city hall politics, and looking at your career and the things you're doing in, the, in, the, in Austin, um, you know, developers, the, the development community generally broadly tends to have a bad rap um, when it comes to just dynamics at City Hall and you know, how some citizens in Austin view them, um, I think personally unfairly. But in, in noticing and kind of since I've been aware of your career and the things you're doing in town, you you seem to kind of be an outlier towards that. Because, I mean, you've done some major projects, made, you know, made Austinian, very iconic project, very you know, expensive project. But, you know, uh, but you're also, you've served a number, a number of boards, served a number of boards, um, and are always, just from the write-ups I've seen, seen about you, seen as, you know, being in, a, a, in some words, you know, a visionary about affordable building in Austin. And, you know, one, I want to get a sense of, it, you know, how, yeah, I'm sure you're aware of all these things, how the developers and development community is seen, perceived by some. Um, and then you know why that may be, and then things that you know you've you kind of you've done in your career that you know that that why how you position yourself to not be that way, I guess, or let me perceive that way. Uh, that's a hard question. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that I have the answer to that question. I will say that that our company and we we handpick our folks. Our job is not to to build development and make money, although we have to do that, otherwise we won't stay in You're business. You're a business. We, we have yeah. to. We have investors and they, they need to get their returns, et cetera. But we have to do what's best for the city and the neighborhoods within which we do business. And so that, that creates a balancing of interests, you know, and we, and we have to work together so that when we're finished, it's better for the city than it was before. And if you do that long enough, hopefully you develop that reputation that you're trying to do what's best for the city. Gotcha. If that makes any sense. I wouldn't want to do something that harmed neighbors. I wouldn't want to do something that harmed our city. You want to do something that helps our city. Mm -hmm. you know? And so if you can contribute uh, to help make park improvements in an area where you're developing, that's a good thing to do. If you can create a structure, uh, Goodnight Ranch uh, created a uh, park district so that it could fund operating costs for a large park that the city purchased and didn't have the money to operate it. And so it's open to the public. It's going to be it's free. It's under construction now. And the, and the Goodnight residents, which are right next to it and will benefit a lot, they pay an extra nominal tax for the benefit of the entire city. That's a win-win. That makes any sense. So it does, yeah. That's, that's the approach. And, and I think a lot of developers do that. I, don't, I think some of them maybe don't get credit for it. Uh, and I, think I would agree. I, I would think tensions get high sometimes. And there's, there's sometimes that things get built that probably shouldn't get built. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I, I get that. Um, I would I would recognize that our city a city is like a living human human a living being if you will and mm -hmm. if you put a pressure over here it may cause problems over there uh, and so the general dynamic of having this big concentration of jobs in our urban core has driven up house prices as people try to get close to there. For those that can't afford it, they've moved out. That's created transportation problems of them trying to get to work. We need to recognize that and start thinking about logical solutions to mm -hmm. that, if that makes any sense, and lock arm in arm to do that. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, that'll start this this spring. <laughs> we'll get some processes going. I think going. we have some good leadership, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, everybody needs a seat at the table, you yeah. know, and you need to hear these things. It is very difficult to... You know, especially for folks that have lived in areas where home prices were very reasonably priced, and now they're just 
skyrocketing. You know, and it's it's you can't point a finger. Read an article one time about about gentrification. They couldn't blame the city. They couldn't blame developers. It was really the bigger fundamental. The economy was growing, and there wasn't enough housing, or you know, jobs were close to where that was, and it drove up the price of housing. It's recognizing those forces, and then what can we do to address those things? Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Makes total sense. So Terry, uh, before we close out, do you have anything? Uh, what new projects do you have going on in the pipeline? Uh, based on the, this discussion of the fact that, that housing needs to become denser so that we can reach more people, that missing middle that you referenced earlier, we are working on uh, a couple, but one in particular, a, a large housing project that would be 2,500 multifamily units mm -hmm. if we are able to execute it, uh, done over a period of time, not, not all at once, but over a period of time where you could try to put people close to, Use density to get the cost down, so that so that we can reach as many people as possible. But then, with that scale, be able to put services in there that serve them. Gotcha. And so, uh, uh, ask me in a couple years how it's going. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll be reading about it. All right. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com/podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.